It is now my privilege, my pleasure, to invite Craig. Again, as I said, he's one of our elders. Um, he's actually my neighbour as well, so during the week we get together and we have a drink together sometimes and we chat together and um, it is a delight, Craig, for you to come and share God's word with us. Would you please come? Thanks, Pitt. What Pitt didn't mention is he never helps me in the garden. <laughs> he watches me work. <laughs> so good morning, everyone, and welcome to to uh, this, this meeting. We're going to continue today with our topic of exploring what Jesus has to say on a number of matters. And if you'd like to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 20. Uh, it might sound long, it's, not, it's not, that, uh, not too long. So reading from verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he was not telling them to be on, the guard, on their guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, this, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Verse 18 of this passage is really well known. In fact, it's, there have been songs written about it. Um, I can still remember singing them when I was younger. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. However, if we only focus on this one verse or this part of verse 18, I think we miss all of what Jesus has to say to us. When preparing, I found the context in which he makes the statement as instructive, if not more instructive, than the statement itself. And we're going to dig into that a little bit more this morning. Firstly, if you focus on verses 1 to 4, you see the Pharisees and the Sadducees approach Jesus and try to test him. They ask him for a sign from heaven, 
and Jesus chastises them. He points out to them that they're unable to interpret the signs of the times and that it's a wicked generation, an adulterous generation that looks for a sign from heaven. He highlights when he says this, the absence of their faith, the absence of faith that underpins their religious practices and behaviors. He goes on to tell them that the only sign a generation like that will receive is the sign of Jonah. When he refers them to Jonah, Jesus is referring to the story of Jonah. And you all know the story of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the big fish. In fact, the Bible says big fish, not whale. So make of that what you wish. But he highlights as he goes into that the message where Jonah was sent to Nineveh to bring a message from God to the people. And that message from God was that in 40 days, God was going to destroy them because of their sinfulness. In response to this message, the Ninevites repented. God relented and he spared them. He poured out his grace and mercy and allowed them to continue living. In this context, when Jesus is referring to Jonah, the story of Jonah and the message to the Ninevites, he's effectively saying to the Pharisees, I am your sign. I am right in front of you and still you cannot see me. Your absence of faith, the absence of faith that underpins your religious practices, makes you unable to see me. It makes you unable to interpret the signs of the times. So essentially, they've been given a sign that they've missed because of their lack of faith. Secondly, if we then dig into verses 5 to 12 of the passage, we see how the, the disciples try to understand something Jesus says without faith. You know, frankly, they were pretty clueless when it came to this, scratching their heads saying, oh dear, we forgot bread. He doesn't want us to borrow yeast from the Sadducees and the Pharisees to make our bread. They completely miss the metaphorical point. What he's really warning them about with the yeast of the Pharisees is around the message that they're preaching, the message that lacked faith, was full of religious piety and um, uh, law and regulation, but no freedom, no truth, no justice, no love, no mercy. So Jesus intervenes with his disciples and again he points, he starts off by saying, you have little faith. He highlights that their lack of faith underpins their lack of understanding of what they're seeing happen in the times that they're in. He builds their faith and he reminds them of the miracles that he's performed before. Miracles that involved bread, interestingly enough. So do you not remember the feeding of the 4,000? Do you not remember how much bread we gathered at the end of that? How is it that having seen all of these miracles, you still lack faith? They think about this, they listen to him, and having had their faith restored by Jesus, being referred back again to things they've seen Jesus do, Jesus opens their eyes again to who he is. He shows them that God is working powerfully in their midst. With that faith restored, suddenly the disciples understand the metaphor and they realize what he was talking about, about the yeast of the Pharisees. So again, in the second part of the text, we see faith coming through quite strongly. Thirdly, when you look at verses 13 to 20, and Jesus asks them who they think he is, Peter answers that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus explains to him that this truth could only have been revealed to him by his Father in heaven. His eyes were open to the truth of who Jesus was because God the Father brought her up out of revelation. This in itself for me is amazing. It's just before Peter has this revelation, 
Peter's part of a group of clueless disciples scratching their heads going, oh dear, we didn't bring bread with us. Jesus is upset. Um, and having the inability to really understand that it was a message that was a metaphor which he required faith to understand. Suddenly, having had his faith rebuilt by Jesus, Peter's in a space where God is able to reveal to him the truth of who it is Jesus really is. By this point, Peter's faith has been built up and the way he's listening to Jesus and engaging with Jesus and interacting with Jesus is in faith and not in the flesh. And as he's operating in faith, God is able to reveal things to him. And Peter sees one of those signs of the times, the son of the living God, Christ the Messiah, standing in front of him. It is then that Jesus goes on and says that he will build his church on the rock that is Peter. I see this as another metaphor for us today. We've all had the revelation of who Jesus is. As his children, we are this generation's rock upon which Jesus wants to build his church. It's the people he has saved that he is using to build his church in the generation, in the context, in the spheres of influence that, that we find ourselves in. So what does this really mean for us and what can we learn from this today? First, we need to be full of faith. I was reminded of Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 and 6. I think Piet referred to, to some of this last week or the week before in his message. Where we see the writer saying, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Throughout this passage, Jesus is pointing to a lack of faith, rebuilding faith, and then we see evidence of the fruit of faith as we see the revelation that comes from God to Peter and Peter is able to see what it is uh, who it is Jesus is and why it is he stands in front of him on that day so we need to be full of faith secondly we must not allow ourselves to become like the Pharisees and the Sadducees they were very religious they were very devout in their religious practices but as Jesus points out they did not understand the signs of the times says to them that they can see what the weather's doing as we can. It's a beautiful day out here in Switzerland again today. Beautiful day yesterday. The redness on my face is not makeup for this um, message, by the way. I spent the whole day in the sun. Can't believe I've got sunburns in April. But it's not about the weather. It's not about understanding the wind's coming from the west and therefore we're going to have rain. The wind's coming from the east and therefore we're going to have a clear day. But Jesus is saying to them, you need to understand the signs of the times. We need to be like the men of Issachar. The men of Issachar we read about in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. And I'm not going to go through the long text. It's about 20 verses or so where we read about how God gathers thousands of men, large numbers of men to David at Hebron. And he gathers them to, to turn Saul's kingdom over to David. And these men gather and they're fully determined to make David king over Israel. The men of Issachar are described in that text as men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. These men gathered, fully determined 
to make David king over Israel, just as Jesus has gathered us as the church with a new mission. We, he's gathered us to, together in order to build his church in our generation and in our context. It's interesting that Jesus talks about the Pharisees and Sadducees not understanding the signs of the times. And we see again this parallel that men who understood the signs of the times and knew what Israel should do were men that God gathered to advance his kingdom under David's rule. God has done exactly the same thing with us as the church. So another metaphorical parallel, if you like, looking at the Old Testament, linking it back to the New. For us to be effective as Christians, we need to understand the signs of the times that we're living in. We need to be fully determined in these times to build Jesus' church. Not partially determined, not somewhat determined. Not with all these surveys you get, was it excellent, was it partly excellent? No, we need to be excellent in this. We need to be committed to this. In our context at the moment, we have an opportunity to take giant steps forward in our epic battle. And it is a battle. The battle to build God's kingdom here on earth, to build Jesus' church. It's a spiritual battle. We have a wonderful opportunity to gain territory for Jesus, to build the church in our communities. I was struck by Jenny's message to the children, I think it was two or three Sundays ago, where she showed a, a cartoon picture, if you like, of Paul sitting in a jail cell, which was essentially a, a hole carved out of a, a rock with some bars on it. And there he is sitting there, writing away, talking to the guards, talking to whoever would come past. And what struck me most was Paul spent a significant number of years of his life in prison or under house arrest. Yet look at the impact he was able to have for the gospel from that prison cell or from the house arrest. He wrote multiple books that form part of the Bible that we have today. He was involved in establishing and building God's church across multiple countries in a, in a time when we didn't have airplanes, we didn't have speedboats, we didn't have motor cars to get around. He was walking and going by rowing boat, sailing boat. Yet God was still able to use this man in his context, in a really constrained environment, to impact the world for Jesus. When we look at the times we're living in at the moment, when we look around us, for those who don't know Jesus, much of what they've placed their faith in is just crumbling at the moment. We've seen stock markets absolutely crash. House sales have come to a halt. I was reading about a in the British press about a young couple that were devastated because they couldn't complete the transaction to buy their dream home at the moment. And that was everything they'd been looking forward to. We've seen sickness abound. We've seen livelihoods at risk. It's a difficult time for many. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not holding on to Jesus, this is an incredibly challenging time at the moment. Our hope as Christians and our faith as Christians is in the fact that one day, we will see Jesus face to face and spend eternity in heaven with him, enjoying him forever. If you don't know Jesus, the only hope people have, the only thing they can put their faith in is what they can see. And everything that they're seeing at the moment is under pressure and is crumbling. More than ever now today, the fields are ripe waiting to be harvested. People need Jesus more than they've ever realized they need him before. Times like these belong to the church. We have to rise up. We have to stand up. We have to step forward. We have to be 
confident. We have to be wholeheartedly committed. Our resolve needs to be to build God's church. Just as those men who were gathered in 1 Chronicles to make David king over all Israel. Scripture there says they were fully determined to make him king over all Israel. We need to be, as Christians today, fully determined to build the church in our context for such a time as this. God has not placed us here by mistake. He's not placed us here accidentally. God says that he works all things to the good for those who love him. You are here with a plan and a purpose to do something for Jesus in your lifetime, in your family, in your generation. And part of that is building the church. We have to rise up. We have to show the world that the love that Jesus has for them. We have to show them. We have to be the uh, arms and the feet and the eyes and the ears. We need to be the body of Jesus, just there to love and care for people and to show them Jesus' love at this time. So second, we must not be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We must be able to interpret the signs of the times. We need this to permeate our hearts. We need to see it, we need to understand it, and it needs to change the way we act. Third, we need to be courageous. I mentioned under the second point that this is a spiritual battle. We're trying to take territory for Jesus, gain territory for Jesus, and build the church. I've got friends who have fought in wars, um, recent wars. I've got friends who've had people die in their arms in, in battle. And they tell me the stories. A battle is an ugly thing sometimes. It's hard. Yeah, I remember one friend telling me the first time the gunfire went off, it felt like 30 minutes, but it was only 30 seconds. And when it stopped, he was hiding under a bush and his rifle was 30 meters away from him. Yeah, battles are not easy. It's frightening to be in battle. But God wants us to be courageous. We need to be rooted in his word. I was reminded of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, God says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. That's Joshua chapter 1 verse 6. In verse 9, God reiterates this, but he says, Be very courageous. Again, another metaphor for us today. We as the redeemed of the Lord need to be strong and very courageous in the context we find ourselves in today to share the gospel with others. It's what God's called us to do. It's what Jesus wants us to do. We need to step out in faith and lead this lost generation around us into the presence of Jesus, into this promised land of eternal life that we as Christians can benefit from. Sitting back and being a bystander, yes, it's an option. But it's not what God's called us to do. We've been freely given this gift of eternal life. It'd be such a shame not to share that with others. I, I was so struck by this theme around courage yesterday. I was reminded of a, a psalm, Psalm 78, verses 9 to 11. There were these men from Ephraim, and very little is read, written about this particular story. This is the only place we can find a clear story about them turning back. But it says, the men of Ephraim, in verse 9, Psalm 78, the men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done the wonders he had shown them. It's interesting that they'd forgotten what God had done. That's the exact same thing that Jesus reminded the disciples of. He said, have you forgotten in the text? 
all the miracles that involve bread. You've lost, you, you, you've forgotten, and your faith is weakened as a result. The same with the men of Ephraim. Their faith had weakened. They'd forgotten the wonders that God had done. They'd turned from God. They'd, they'd lost their way. And on the day of battle, they were fully armed, ready to fight, and they turned away. We need to be like Joshua. We need to be courageous. What I was struck by when preparing as well is there are numerous scriptures throughout the Old Testament where we read, the battle belongs to the Lord. When it comes to building his church, the battle belongs to yes. the Lord. We can take courage from the, set, from the statement that Jesus makes. He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You might know the verse slightly differently. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But that is a promise. That is a statement of fact. Jesus' church will prevail. He will prevail in this message, uh, in, in this mission of building this church. I was reminded of David. David, David fought many battles. David went from being a completely broken man to a completely whole man to being a complete agent of change for God to be completely distant and sinful. He was in, in many different contexts. He often found himself frightened and afraid particularly before he was made king, when he was running for his life from Saul. And I read, I came across Psalm 18, verses 30 to 36, and this really encourages me. And I think we need to, as I said at the beginning of this point, be rooted in the word of God, because that's partly where some of our courage will come from. And he says this in Psalm 18, verse 30 to 36. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle and my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield, and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet, so that my ankles do not give way. We serve a God like that. If we're afraid, if we have fear in us, when we're wanting to go out and talk to people about Jesus, when we're wanting to be part of building God's church, take courage. We serve a God whose way is perfect, whose word is flawless, who shields those who, who take refuge in him. I love the last part of that scripture where he says, you provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. When you think the path is about, your ankles are about to give way, remember, God has given you a broad path to stand on. Not a narrow path. God hasn't crippled you as he's sending you out to this, uh, into the world to make this difference. He's empowered us. He's equipped us. He's given us everything that we need to take his gospel into the generation we're a part of. He's given us everything we need to be part of that adventurous journey of building his church in our generation. So to summarize the message this morning, I want to encourage you to have faith. Jesus says that the gates of Hades will not overcome the church. The battle belongs to him. He is already victorious. He won the victory on the cross. 
He made a public spectacle of the powers of darkness. He defeated them on the cross. We're on the winning team. Nothing that can happen to us in this lifetime will change that. Number two, understand the signs of the times. Always remember that we are the redeemed of the Lord. We are placed on this earth for such a time as this. Thirdly, be courageous. Ask God to fill you and equip you with His Holy Spirit. Read His Word. Immerse yourself in the Word. Take your courage from what the Bible says. When you ask Him for His Holy Spirit, I would look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Jenny's getting a lot of kudos today because this also came out of it was the memory verse that Caitlin's been learning from uh, two weeks ago. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, gives us love, gives us self-discipline. We need to be disciplined in building God's church. We can't be lazy. We can't just go, oh, well, it's going to happen. You know, right. say la vie. We've actually got to be, can't be passive. We've got to be proactive. So we need discipline. So be self-disciplined. God's Spirit helps us with self-discipline. We need to be full of love. Yeah. Jesus says, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you love yourself, you want to be saved. So one of the ways to love your neighbor is to introduce them to who Jesus is. And I'm not talking about Bible bashing and preaching in their face, but find ways to show your neighbor Jesus' love. So he, there's the love, but he also gives us power. And what's interesting about the power that comes from the Holy Spirit is that power, as we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, is the same as the mighty strength that he, God, exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. If you read those two verses together, it, for me it's even better. You, for, the Spirit of God, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And that power is the same as the mighty strength God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand. In heavenly realms we have that inside of us we have that available to us God has equipped us with everything that we need to be effective participants in Jesus mission to build his church he's equipped us for a time such as this not for yesterday not for tomorrow for today let's not be like the men of Ephraim who though fully armed with bows turned back on the day of battle how sad a day that must have been Let's rise to the occasion. I want to encourage you to take courage. Be full of faith and courage. Be like Joshua, who was adventurous. Like Caleb, who said, though there be giants in the land, I won't be afraid. We need to go up there. We need to take the land that God has given us. Be like Joshua. Be like Caleb. Be like Issachar. Men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. For me, right now, today... What's obvious is we need to be taking what Jesus has given us and sharing that with others yeah. in this context we find ourselves in the world today. They need Jesus. Jesus wants us to be a part of that mission, and we're here. He's equipped us. Let's seize that moment. Let's seize the time. And let's build Jesus' church in the communities he's placed us in. So I'd like to pray for us now. And I think there, there are two groups of people that I want to pray for. The believers and those of you who have yet to meet Jesus. If you're on the stream and you're 
wanting to understand how you can meet Jesus. Um, Jesus is everywhere. Yeah, it's not that I'm here and you where you are. Jesus is everywhere. He fills the earth. The whole earth is full of the glory of God. And I want to lead you in a simple prayer this morning. If you want to respond to Jesus. And find out, experience that revelation from the Father. God the Father in heaven of who Jesus is. And then we'll pray for the second group of people. Father God, if, you, if you're sitting in your homes this, this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus, just repeat this prayer after me. Father God, I come before you this morning. I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I am someone that has never given you the space to operate in my life. I ask you, Father, this morning, please forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for not living a life that has been focused on you. I pray, Father God, that you would come now, forgive me of my sins, and save me. I put my trust this morning in Jesus, your one and only Son. And I commit my life to serving you from this day forward. Amen. For the second group, you're sitting at home saying, I want to be part of building this church, but I lack faith or I lack courage or I'm struggling to understand the sign of the times. I'm going to pray that God just does something supernaturally in your life today gives you that courage, that gives you that awareness and insight of, of the sight, what's happening in these times, that gives you the faith to step out and be part of this fantastic journey. Father God, I pray for everyone watching this morning. And we have no idea what you're saying to who, but you know, Lord. For those this morning who are struggling and lack faith, I pray, Father, come by your Holy Spirit right now. And give them a special, extra special dose, dose of faith. Come and do something special in their hearts, Holy Spirit, to build their faith. For those who are struggling to understand the signs of the times, I pray, Father, that you would give them a fresh revelation of your plans and purposes for them in this generation. That you would give them new eyes right now to see your plans and purposes for them in their circumstances today, Lord, that they would see what it is you're wanting to do. And I pray, Father, that you would give them the faith and the courage to step out to do what it is you lay on their hearts as you answer this prayer. And Father, for the third group, the people who lack courage, they have faith and they, they can see what it is you're wanting to do, Father. I pray that you would come and instill courage in them right now. I pray just as Paul prayed for the Ephesians and he was praying for the Ephesians and he talks about your power as he uh, and as you as Paul encouraged Timothy Lord I pray that people would have this revelation that the spirit you've given them does not make them timid I pray that if anyone's timid in their faith Lord you'd break the timidity and you would replace it with power with love and with self-discipline I pray that that power the same power that raised Jesus from the dead would work in their hearts right now and in their minds right now, Lord. 
to put into them steel and resolve this morning to step out for you and to be part of building your church in their generation. In Jesus' name. Amen. So before we finish up, thank you for joining us this morning. I just want to remind you, I'm not sure if my head's in the way of the message behind, but we do want to encourage you to keep on being part of giving into the work that God is doing through Lyft uh, in our community. And just because we're not meeting um, together physically doesn't mean that we don't have resource needs in order to continue to do the work that we're doing. And a lot of that work does continue just in a different form. So for those of you who want to give into the ministries, who want to, uh, we encourage you to continue to tithe and continue to give into the ministry. Uh, you can find all the relevant details on our website. If you go to SwissEnglishChurch.com, uh, there are links you can follow. It's convenient. It's easy to give by EFT. Uh, we encourage you to continue to do that, to be part of uh, the ministry that God is uh, doing through our church. We thank you again for all that you've done so far. I've got the financial results recently. God is providing faithfully for us. Uh, thank you to all of you who are giving sacrificially towards that. Have a lovely Sunday. Please do join us for the prayer meeting on Tuesday. And uh, for those who join us on Tuesday, we'll see you then. Otherwise, we'll connect with you again on Friday. God bless you all.